It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And of course, anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM and listen on your device of choice, as I say, anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'd like to welcome our first guest to the show today. It is a pleasure to have Ryan Sangalia uh, to the show. He's a reporter with The Ring magazine, and we're here to talk about Mike Tyson returning to the boxing ring. Uh, A little bit more about Ryan. He's uh, from New Jersey, Jersey City in New Jersey, and uh, has been a reporter since 2006. He's a member of the Boxing Writers Association of America. And as I say, a current st- uh, currently a staff reporter for The Ring magazine. He's also written for The New York Daily News, USA Today, Esquire Philippines, Philippine Daily Inquirer, and The Philippine Star. Ryan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me, David. So, Mike Tyson, Iron Mike. He might be coming back. He is coming back. What do you, what's going on? Well, he certainly looks like he's coming back. I mean, that's... <laughs> Uh, I understand how he looked in his prime physically mm. uh, and, and all of the other training methods that um, have evolved since those days in the 80s. But it is still very impressive to see his physique uh, right now. Uh, he has the look of someone who would be coming back and just the buzz that has generated mm. since uh, he first released his training videos on uh, social media shows that forever i mean three weeks after he dies people will still be talking about is mike tyson going to come back again because it's (laughs) i mean he's just one of these figures he's like a paul bunyan he's Mm. he's a uh he's an american living mythological figure in that regard where uh people will always be in awe of his intensity um just the aura around him there's this sense of just invincibility that that uh sustains even you know throughout uh you know uh, the years and and his numerous setbacks and you know Mm -hmm. uh people want to see him like there's something about him that's just so riveting uh and I think he understands that, and I think he knows that um, if he says, hey, I'm going to come back, uh, the offers will come in, and we've seen that happen. Yeah, now, I would like to talk a little bit about the, the, you know, the element of charity around this, that he's, he says he, he wants to do this for charity to raise money. Um, but, you know, when you, when you see some of the interviews he's done recently, um, do, you, do you see a change in his thinking? I mean, even, even some of the videos that have been released of him uh, and working out training, uh, there was one that he didn't realize was going to be seen in America. He thought it was only for the Oriental market or something. And it certainly does show... Uh, a man uh, uh, that is in pretty darn good shape and looking good. Oh, yeah. Is that the, the, the one where he says he's going to like, fight with the intensity of like Chairman it, Mao or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, something along those lines. I think I saw that on, uh, on social <laughs> media. Um, yeah, you know what? He's a great salesman. He's a great um, – uh, he knows how to get – how to push people's buttons. So mm. he's – 
I, I, like, you know, he's in, for instance, he's in the WWE Hall of Fame. Mm. And he grew up as a, as a big wrestling fan, and he understands the elements of working a crowd with 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 WWE uh, style pr- uh, promos, mm. and uh, you know he, he's he's a great uh, showman. So yeah, I I, I have I noticed a, a change. I, I've noticed a change in the tenor of the conversation around him mm. uh, because let's be honest, he's a fifty three year old man, yeah. and people are talking about him. Uh, Having a third fight with a 57-year-old Evander Holyfield, right? Um, you know, I I remember, like in the late 90s, when they were talking about geezers at Caesars with um, Larry <laughs> Holmes and George Foreman, mm. and how people thought it was ridiculous that these mm. two guys who are about 100 years old combined age were about to fight, you know, <laughs> in, in an actual professional fight. Mm. Now, if if it's uh, I, and, and not taking anything away from Tyson and Holyfield. It, it seems they put a lot of hard work into getting back in shape, and I think that's great for them. I think it's inspiring for um, the many um, aging people around the world to see, listen, you know, life doesn't end at 40. You know, mm-hmm. you can still uh, get yourself in great shape and, and, and live a productive and um, a life uh, with a lot of quality of life. But uh, – these are. This is a fifty-three-year-old man, fifty-seven-year-old <laughs> mm-hmm. man. We're not going to see them fight twelve rounds in right. a sanctioned bout. It's. It, I think it's a little nuts, you know, to to think about sometimes because, you know, uh, boxing's a dangerous sport. And yeah. It becomes uh, progressively more dangerous as you get older uh, in terms of head injuries and, and other yeah. injuries. Sure. Um, now, if they were talking about doing it for charity, with some controls in place uh where they wouldn't get injured and Mm. and both uh uh combatants understood that yeah you know we're we're not the fighters that we were we're not the people we were in the the mid 90s we Mm. have to be a little bit more careful and prudent and we have to do it for a cause and it can't Mm. just be about us ripping each other's heads off right i think that that could work (laughs) but i think that um some of the fantasy elements uh, are, 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 are taking off with this where people are buying the hype of, you know, oh, this is a great guy who's in great shape again and, and he's going to destroy the heavyweight division. This, that's not going to happen. This, this is a young, young man's game. You know, right, right. Mike, Mike Tyson uh, in 2005 was getting beat by guys like Kevin McBride and saying afterwards that, you know, he felt like embarrassed a little bit to be losing to a guy of that caliber. I think that's what people need to realize is that the Mike Tyson that, you know, of the, of the eighties of, mm. of even the mid nineties is gone. We have to accept that, you know, we have to temper our expectations, I think a little bit with, with the Mike Tyson talk. Now, now I saw another interview with him where, you know, they were talking about an, an MMA uh, Tito maybe getting in the ring with him. He said he had been approached by uh, someone from Mike Tyson's uh, camp. What do you think of that idea? I think, you know, well, Tito has been like on this semi-retired um, celebrity circuit kind of fight. Um, he, I, he did uh, tour. He's done the uh, – he fought Chuck Liddell, who was, you know, well past his prime. And let's be honest, Tito Ortiz is not the Tito Ortiz of, of a few decades ago himself. Like mm. he had numerous neck surgeries to mm. the extent that I'm like, I can't believe he's actually letting someone grab him around the neck again. Mm. But uh, – he had a, a recent fight with um, Alberto El Patron, the, uh, the former uh, wrestler. I think he still does do, do professional wrestling. So I think that this is up 
in the um, the realm of what Tito Ortiz has been doing lately. It's these sort of attraction fights. Um, so it would make sense from a matchmaking perspective. But Mike Tyson's never been a uh, an MMA fighter. I don't believe he yeah. has any yeah. amateur wrestling uh, background or jujitsu. Right. Uh, I, I, I would be concerned for Tyson from the standpoint of him potentially like being embarrassed a little bit if he does mm -hmm. the MMA thing. Um, I, I, I think that now I, I heard, you know, as I'm sure you have as well, the bare knuckle boxing talk, uh, that, you know, he was offered something like 20 million plus charity incentives, um, uh, you know, to, to do a bare knuckle. I think that that under some circumstances, and this is a little crazy that you would think about, but, under some, at, at least it involves punching only, and it's not yeah. about grappling. And right. He's not going to have to worry about some big right. guy leaning on him. Right. Uh, I think that that would be a little bit more feasible. Yeah, and I think Tito made reference to that uh, as well. You know, it could be just just boxing, and 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 not the martial arts uh, outside of outside of that. And. Um, yeah. Okay. So either way, uh, it could be exciting. It could be very uh, a lot of fun uh, to watch and see this guy. I mean, he does look good. I mean, I, I was surprised, and he's lost a lot of weight. He looks he looks damn good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe that he's uh, his diet has changed. I believe he's vegan now. Um, mm. uh, he is. Uh, I, I I think that if anything, it's a great advertisement for the the health benefits mm. of uh, of a plant based diet. Mm. Um, and I think it, it shows tremendous discipline in him to stick to that and, and then to train on top of that. Um, you know, he's, he, he's explosive. Like he has this personality that, um, you want, like, we want to believe in superheroes and he, right, and he sure. makes it easier because he, 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 there was something about him. Even when he was younger, he was like, um, I believe they advertised him as five foot 10. I mm. doubt he's five foot ten. I've been around mm. him. I'm not five foot ten. He's not too much taller than me. Mm. Um, but he is this guy. Like you know, in in the video game, he was um, Little Mac. Yeah, you know, no, I'm sorry. He he fought Little Mac in, in mm. Mike Tyson Punch Out. But in reality, he is more akin to uh, Little Mac that you know mm. a, as as a character mm. instead of a hulking figure. And yet he was able to destroy all these uh, fighters who are much larger than him. Guys like Larry Holmes, who's like six foot four and, mm. and a pretty solid guy. Um, he beat all these big uh, fighters. Frank Bruno, who was this uh, massive uh, human being. Um, you know, so he, he, there's something about him that, you, you, you know, people who want to believe in superheroes, they look to a Mike Tyson and, 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 and seeing him in this condition, I think, um, helps people a lot feel good about the, the nostalgia effect. You know, like, hey, you know what? I, if Mike Tyson looks at like that, you know, mm. I, I I can't be that old. You know, like, right. look at Mike Tyson. You know, he's right. he looks great. So I, I think that it's the the positive thing. Number one, I think, is you know, how inspiring him coming back in, in, in any capacity is, and I think he's also it shows in his relevance because. He he's done the last two nights. He he's done appearances on all elite wrestling, and he's yeah. He shows that he's that he has an attraction. Right. People want to see him uh, in some capacity. Yeah, I, I saw that as well. Uh, I was going to bring that up. In fact, uh, just again, you were as you were saying, he knows how to uh, how to make the best of a situation. Um, you know, for for the camera. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's and, and he is uh, a master showman. If you look at those videos that he's released. 
Like it, his timing is great, not just mm. as a as a fighter, mm. but how he delivers his lines. And when he says, "I'm back," you believe it. And I, I I'm a skeptic in a lot of things about boxing and, and a lot of things about sports in general. I believe that you know boxing is a show and tell business, and you know you need to see the show uh, to to get people talking about it. When he released that first video where he throws, I'm trying to remember the combination. It was something like a, a one, two, a double hook. And then I think mm. he, uh, I think he weaved under and then he came over with a right hand, mm. uh, something along those lines. And I was like, you know what? I don't care what anyone says about he's 53 years old. That would really hurt someone. <laughs> he does not like, right. he does not throw punches like a guy who's mm. just trying to, Get a nice little workout and mm. get a get a sweat going. He throws punches like someone's trying to knock someone's head off. Right, so right. Uh, the, you know he helps he helps his cause yeah. in that regard. Yeah. Well, good for him. Good for him. You know, he does look good. He's creating the buzz. He's uh, he, like you said, it, 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 he's doing a, a really good thing just from the perspective of. Uh, of showing the uh, the the positive effects of getting back in shape, uh, you, you know, if you're over 50, it's not too late to uh, to engage and become uh, and regain your health and 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 do something with yourself. Yes, yes, no, I, I agree 100. percent Ryan, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and having you on the show today. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us. No, thank you so much for having me, and uh, I, I love Toronto. It's one of my favorite cities to visit, and uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, talking to you and being heard by the uh, the great people of Toronto and Ottawa. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, and all the best to you. Same to you. Take care. All right. Take care. That is Ryan Singali. He's a reporter with The Ring magazine. We were talking about Mike Tyson's comeback. And speaking of coming back, don't go away, because we're going to be right back after this with more on Element FM right after this. <laughs> Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or... 106.5 ELMNTFM and listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week anywhere across the country. I'd like to welcome our next guest to the show. It's a pleasure to have Dr. Anne Kavokian and she is recognized as one of the world's leading privacy experts. She is presently the distinguished expert in residence, leading the Privacy by Design Center of Excellence and is also a senior fellow of the Ted Rogers Leadership Center at Ryerson University, appointed as the Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada in 1997. Dr. Kavokian served as an unprecedented an unprecedented three terms as commissioner. She also has a couple of books out. Um, she's the author and co-author of The Privacy Payoff, How Successful Businesses Build Customer Trust. And uh, that was is with Tyler Hamilton. And also, Who Knows Safeguarding Your Privacy in a Networked World? And that is with Don Tapscott. She's also written numerous articles as well. And um, we're so excited to have you on the show, uh, Dr. Kavoku, and we appreciate your time as well to do so. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, the world uh, is changing. Uh, COVID-19 has certainly uh, made a lot of changes to the way we are dealing with 
uh, and, and a lot of issues coming up around privacy these days, of course, because of so many things, just like we're doing now online, and questions around privacy and questions around information that, that gets out there. Um, you know, I find it interesting, if you don't mind us going back a little bit, that um, I believe you're, you were originally from Armenia, and your parents left Armenia because they wanted to help you and your, your siblings uh, have freedom um, because the country changed uh, and became nationalized. And, and I believe your parents couldn't access their money. They, they, they had some issues and they wanted to leave that country. If I could just correct one thing, you're right, we're Armenian, that's my background, but you're talking about Egypt. I was born in Cairo, and we were from, my parents were in Egypt, it was a large Armenian community, Mm. and when when it was under British rule, everybody had a lot of freedom. Mm. The British pulled out in the mid-50s, and Abdul Nasser came in and changed everything, nationalized Mm. the banks, you had no freedom, you couldn't withdraw your funds, you couldn't do anything. And for my parents, that was completely unacceptable. Um, since their parents, my grandparents, just barely escaped the Armenian genocide uh, years earlier. So freedom to us is absolutely critical. My parents literally left, like in the dead of the night, one night, my mother used to say, eight suitcases, three children, and our two mother, my two grandmothers. And they couldn't withdraw their money from the bank, but freedom was so important to us. We came here to uh, Canada. I was only four years old. And we stayed in a dear friend's uh, basement uh, for about six months until my father got his business up and running. It, that's the freedom was everything to my parents, and they had to raise their children in freedom. Mm. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and that leads me to my next question, which is: Do you do you think that 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 influenced your your uh, your future in terms of looking at privacy and looking at how important freedom is? Absolutely. I mean, privacy forms the foundation of our freedom. You cannot have free and open societies without a solid foundation of privacy. And in fact, that was my parents' story. Let me tell you very quickly, my grandparents, my grandfather was unbelievable. He and his family, my father would have been three years old at the time. They were scheduled, this is in Armenia in 1915, they were scheduled to be killed the next day in the Armenian genocide. Mm. And my grandfather is trying to think of how can I save my family? What can I do? What did he do? He was an artist, a brilliant painter. But so what? You're thinking, how's that going to save his family? Well, my, my grandma told me he always used to carry parchment paper and charcoal with him because he loved to etch. And in the dead of the night that night, my grandfather etched a portrait of, Abdul, um, of General Pasha, who he had seen earlier in the day. And in the morning, They rolled it up, and as they were being escorted out to be killed, he gave it to the soldier and said, please give this to General Pasha with my regards. And the general says, stupid man, what is he going to want with this? Anyway, they thought that was it. Just before they're about to be killed, the general comes roaring in on horseback, waving the parchment papers. Who did this? I don't know who did this. And my grandfather said, FND, uh, sir, in Turkish. I did it. And he said, I like it very much. You and your family, you're free to go. Now, that is why I'm here today. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. And I'm telling you the story for two reasons. Privacy, absolutely critical. My grandmother told me when they were in the prisons, if you dared utter a word in favor of Armenians, you were killed right then on the spot. Everybody was always looking over their shoulder for going inwards, trying not to speak, be afraid of who is going to carry what. Critical. But the other message I give with that story is, no matter how low the odds, no matter how unlikely you, you think it is that something may succeed, if you believe in it, do it because privacy is critical people often say to me give up on privacy lady 
you know, that ship has sailed. I said, you get another ship. You never give up on privacy. You never give on uh, give up on freedom. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really a very interesting story. Thank you so much for that. Um, now, privacy. Um, you know, people. Uh, I, I've heard you you address this issue around privacy. It's not. It's not about hiding information. It's about. Can you can you help uh, help explain? That? I always used to say that um, that expression. Well, if you have nothing to hide, mm. you have nothing to fear. What's the problem with the government having all your information? I always used to say that could have been the motto of the Stasi police and the Third Reich in Germany, mm. because it presumes that if you're a law-abiding citizen. What's wrong with the state having everything about you, knowing everything? Mm. What's wrong with that is that's not what freedom is about. It's not a world you want to live in where someone is always looking over your shoulder. Privacy is about control, personal control over your personal information. If you want to disclose it and share it with the world, be my guest. I always say privacy is not a religion, but the decision to share information, disclose it, has to be yours. Yours meaning the person to whom the personal information relates. That's why it's critical. We all have zones of privacy that may be important to us, but not to somebody else. Privacy is highly contextual. But just a little story, Steve Jobs, the brilliant founder of Apple, he lived in California, and he used to get a new white Mercedes, same make, same model, every six months, less a day. Six months, less a day, he would take the old car in and get a new one, looked almost exactly the same. Why? Because at that time, you had up to six months before you were required to get a, a new license plate on a new car. He didn't want a license hmm. plate number. He didn't want to be tracked. <laughs> hmm. So that's what he used to do. Wow. Unfortunately, after he died, the um, California changed the rules. <laughs> <laughs> after he died. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Um, now, what you're talking about in, in terms of privacy, privacy by design, you've talked about, it, 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 it automatically uh, is the default. Privacy is the default. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, why is that not the case then? Why do we, you know, I mean, certainly information, private information is valuable, right? If it's in, if it's in the hands of people who... See, the problem is right now, uh, people expect you, including the government, they expect you to search through all the terms of service and search through all the legalese and the privacy policy to find the opt-out box that says, do not use my personal information for any purpose other than the intended primary purpose of the data collection. I mean, life is short. Nobody does that anymore. It takes hours. They've, they've actually timed it. It takes hours to do this mm. properly. But that doesn't mean people don't care about privacy. They care about privacy enormously. I've been in this business well over 20 years. I have never seen... Concern for privacy at such an all-time high in all the public opinion polls, peer research, etc. It's in the 90 percentile consistently. 90 percent very concerned about their privacy. 92 percent concerned about loss of control over their personal information. So huge, huge concern for privacy and also a huge trust deficit. There's so little trust. Now, if you follow privacy by design, which I created many years ago, and privacy as the default is the second of seven foundational principles of privacy by design. If you do privacy as the default, you win. What, what it means, and this is what you tell your customers, you say, look, we don't expect you to search for the opt-out box to ask for privacy. No, no, we give you privacy automatically. It's the default setting. We can only use your information for the primary purpose that you consented to. And if down the road there's a secondary use we'd like to use your information for, 
We have to come back to you and mm -hmm. seek your positive consent. This is a game changer. It builds trust like no other. And once you have a trusted business relationship with your customers, they always, this is what I've been told by companies who do this, they always say yes if you go back to them for consent for a secondary use. That's the way it should be. It should be automatic, embedded as the default setting within your operations. It rarely is. Yeah, it, it, true enough. And and so are we making a dint in that? Are we, are we you know, I mean, you're going out, you're, you're spreading the word, you're talking with companies. What are they seeing when they implement these sort of things? You just gave us a little bit of, of, of uh, a taste of that by saying when you go back to customers and ask them, once you've given them that default position, uh, they're more readily uh, open to listen to you, I guess, because they're, they're more in more of a trusting relationship with you. Companies that do this love it. Uh, we offer now what's called Privacy by Design Certification with KPMG. Mm. And companies that have been certified for Privacy by Design come back to me and they tell me they love it. It, first of all, it gives them a competitive advantage over other companies that don't do it because it shows the level of trust and respect they have in their customers. So it keeps the customers you have loyal and it attracts new opportunity as well. It grows your business opportunities. They love it. But they also said there's benefits in, them, in it for them beyond just trusted business relationship. Uh, one of the foundational principles of privacy by design is to make sure that you give individuals a right of access to their personal information. It's their information, not yours. So let them look at it and see what you have. The positive, inadvertently, for companies, this is what they've told me, is it increases the quality, the accuracy of their information holdings. Because they said, look, we've got thousands of customers. We don't know if the stuff we have on them is 100% correct or not. But if an individual looks at his or her record and they will immediately detect if there's errors. They bring it to our attention, we fix it, our accuracy goes up dramatically. So there's multiple wins, both for customers and for companies. It's a true win-win. How, how is a privacy by design uh, um, uh, being uh, implemented? I guess what I'm asking is, how many how many companies outside of Canada, you know, internationally, are are looking at this as as a good a good way to proceed? Oh, hundreds, if not thousands. Um, two years ago, in Europe, a new law came into effect: the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. Very strong, uh, raises the the bar on privacy dramatically. And to my delight, they included my privacy by design in it, and specifically mm. privacy as the default. Um, in the Europe, it's called data protection by design and, and by default, but it's the exact same thing. And this has increased interest in privacy by design tenfold. I get regular weekly contacts by so many companies who are interested in this. How do we do it? Um, as I said, we now offer certification because companies are seeking this out. So it's growing dramatically. And, you know, Brazil has a new law. They're including privacy by design in it. And so many other countries have included it. So it's, it's really quite remarkable. And I'm delighted at this because, again, it's a win-win proposition. It's not just for the benefit of your customers. Companies gain dramatically. So it has to be multiple positive gains, which is what they're getting. Why would companies perhaps be resistant to implementing something like this? You know, until they've heard about it, they're wary. I, I go in and I talk to many boards of directors and senior executives. And when I go into the room, I just see blank faces. They're not thrilled to see me. <laughs> and I say, 
give me 10 minutes. Let me start by telling you why I think this is good for you and why I think you should do it. And if you're not interested 10 minutes later, let me know and I can just seat myself out the door. Every single time after 10 minutes have passed, they're in. They're saying, how do we do it? We didn't know we, we would benefit from this. We didn't know. I mean, there's so much misinformation out there. Mm. So the minute I frame it as a positive sum venture, meaning win-win, not zero-sum. See, mm. so many people have been branded with the dated zero-sum model of either or. You're going to privacy versus business interest, privacy versus security, one versus the other. It's nonsense. Throw that book away. Substitute positive sum, which just means it's and. Get rid of the versus, substitute and, privacy and business interest. You're going to have multiple positive gains that grow over time and benefit all parties involved. Once they hear that and I tell them how to do it, they're in. For example, most companies don't have what's called a data map. A data map chronicles how the information flows once you may have obtained it um, initially through positive consent for a primary purpose for the data collection. But then how does it flow throughout your organization? How does it navigate in terms of do you need additional consents or is it being used properly for the consented purpose? Once you have a data map in place, all that becomes clear and then you can obtain any additional consents you may require or not. Dude, these are just some of the small tips I give companies. They love it. Hmm. Uh, from what you're saying, and, and I'm, I'm not sure if this makes any sense, you, perhaps you can answer this for me, it, it sounds like to, to do this and, and operate from a default of privacy right off the get-go would be of benefit to a company from a legal standpoint as well. I mean, having someone's private information and carrying that information, I imagine, might carry some legal uh, obligations as well. Yes, of course. And there are so many data breaches these days. It's mm. astounding. Large companies that you would have, think would have the strongest privacy and security measures in place don't. So this also benefits you, as you mentioned, from a legal perspective, because it will protect you from lawsuits. And these days when there are data breaches, they're not just lawsuits. They're class action lawsuits mm. that cause, cost companies millions of dollars. Mm. Mm. So get smart, get proactive, embed privacy by design upfront into your operations and make it work for you and also build trust. That's the other thing. I'm now offering uh, a course on trust by design because there's such a trust deficit and how you get your businesses and your customers on the same page, you have to build trust. Hmm. Nicely said. Any final words just before we go? Never give up on privacy. Uh, people, especially with this COVID-19 concern, you know, once again, it's a zero-sum model. Well, if we have to give up our privacy for public safety, we don't want to do it, but so be it. No, you don't have to give up one interest for the other. You can have both privacy and public safety. You can have business interests and public safety. Get rid of zero-sum. Get rid of one versus the other. Embrace both and watch your privacy and your freedom thrive now and well into the future. All right. Dr. Ann Kivokian, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. We appreciate your time and uh, your expertise. Thank you very much for having me. My our pleasure. Pl our, our pleasure. That is Dr. Ann Kivokian. She is uh, one of the world's leading privacy experts. She is presently the distinguished expert in residence leading the Privacy by Design Center of Excellence and is also a senior fellow of the Ted Rogers Leadership Center at Ryerson University. And we'll be back here with Moment of Truth again right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. 
Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app. And I'd like to welcome my next guest to the show, Michael Collins. He's the president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. And uh, he is here to talk to us about real estate. And, of course, in the midst of COVID-19, it has left many people wondering about the market, wondering about their their prices of their condos, of their homes. And I guess to some degree, well, not to some degree, to a great degree, uh, people that are have investment properties and those kind of things. Um, you know, when I... Uh, so, Michael, welcome to the show. Well, David, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We're, we're glad you could take the time to, to join us. You know, uh, we, we've heard uh, quite a bit about uh, real estate and, and like any other I- industry that's out there, uh, it being affected by COVID-19 as everything has been shut down. And I'm sure people that um, were thinking of perhaps selling their home, uh, that uh, that was probably put on hold for now. Uh, there's a great many questions around um, you know, home ownership, or if you're if you're, you're a condo owner, uh, renting all of these things. There's been a lot of money uh, from the government put out there to help people, or at least costs have been uh, curtailed for now in terms of say uh, taxes, those kind of things, um, and and that's great in the short term, I'm guessing. Um, however. Um, you know, immediately I have to say that as a homeowner, uh, first thing I thought of is, I've, you know, um, I'm not thinking of selling at the moment, so that's fine. Um, how is this for the, 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 the person who is just a homeowner? Let's start there. How is this or does this affect them at all right now? For sure. I think, um, you know, obviously uh, everybody's health is first and foremost mm-hmm. in, most, in most minds. Uh, so anytime you're inviting people into your house uh, to tour through to see it, uh, you're going to find that you know there's going to be some apprehension there. We're supposed to sure. be social distancing. So mm-hmm. uh, those that don't have to do it, uh, you know, don't have to sell at this point, uh, will very often make the decision to uh, wait and see what happens, perhaps in the fall as things start to, uh, the, well, as, as the new normal starts to take place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure enough. Um, now, of course, uh, there is some information that's been out uh, earlier this year about the market. I think it's fallen off around... Now, we're talking about the market and not prices, right? So I believe it's fallen off around 60% or 69% or something like that. Like, Yeah, so uh, a year uh, sort of... Uh, over last year, this time, uh, the, 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 the volume of transactions and the volume of uh, listings has dropped uh, remarkably, you know, down about, you know, 60 weeks, some odd percent, mm. uh, which is to probably to be expected. Sure. Uh, the thing that's very interesting is, though, that the price has uh, held uh, similar to, uh, to what it was back in, uh, in the spring of, eight, of 2019. And is that what, what? What is your sense of that? Is that that's good? Yeah, I think. I mean, it's. I, I mean, obviously, uh, anytime you have volatility in prices, it's mm-hmm. it's difficult. I mean, I mean, people worry that I bought it last year, and if the price declines significantly, uh, it's it's more of a, a short term worry. I mean, anytime mm-hmm. uh, we have uh, prices, uh, you know, sort of decrease from a earlier period. Uh, Real estate is a very resilient uh, uh, investment, and as long as you're not looking for that quick turnaround, 
uh, you know, the, the property will uh, regain its value. So, mm. uh, but psychologically it does, you know, people worry about that, that I, uh, that I paid, you know, too much based on what the price is today. So it is a bit of a concern for sure, but at the end of the day, it, uh, real estate will rebound and uh, everybody yeah. uh, will be in good shape. Yeah. Now, having said that, of course, um, I'd like to to throw this out at you in terms of uh, a what if kind of situation or or just something to think about. We've heard a lot about how uh, people don't necessarily want to go back to the normal we had. Um, We've heard a lot about uh, businesses telling uh, some employees, don't even come back to the office, you're going to work from home from now on. So with that, that change in thinking, um, and the home now being being the main office, uh, what is your sense of how that might affect people's thinking around either purchasing, or or how they address their their home, and, and you know because it's going to have one I guess a need for some professional element to it if the people are going to be using it as a professional uh, area to work out of. Um, I guess what I'm thinking is if if that were me. Um, if I'm going to be spending a lot more time in my place of residence as a as a professional office, then I'm going to want to make sure that it's that I that I'm really happy there. Does that make some sense to you? Oh, for sure. I mean, I uh, uh, you know you you typically think of a home office as stuck in a cubicle in a corner in the basement down somewhere mm-hmm. uh, in in the other way spot where I can pay my bills or whatever. But if you're going to spend uh, many you know many quite a few hours at it, you're going to want to uh, you know, to have some, uh, some light and some window and, uh, you know, because you don't want to be spending eight hours a day, uh, down in the, in the basement. So, uh, <laughs> obviously there'll be a lot of uh, retooling on that, but you know, it's not really a major thing. I mean, it's easy to take a, uh, you know, uh, perhaps a, you know, a second bedroom if you have it or a, a corner of a living room. That's what I have my thing. I have a corner of a living room. I have a nice desk and, uh, I can watch the, watch the birds fly by in the window. So uh, it's certainly not a major uh, overhaul to try and, uh, you know, develop a home office. I envy you. Uh, you're, you're, you just pegged my uh, my working uh, operation at the moment. I am in the basement, <laughs> and I am spending a lot of time in the basement without any daylight uh, these days, so you pegged me. But um, I guess that's where I'm coming from in, in terms of this and looking forward. So, so do you think that at this time, because people are home, uh, they're not going into the office. Uh, it, it's maybe a good time to think about maybe doing a little bit of renovation if that's what you're going to have to be doing, uh, you know, working from the home. Uh, maybe fix something up. Maybe ad- add an addition to the home or, you know, if, if you have that possibility. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, uh, we're entering a new normal, so it's going to, uh, you know, uh, even if it's uh, not a, uh, you know, sort of a full-time work at home, it may be, that you work at home three days a week and you go into the office mm. for two days a week. So right. uh, obviously there's, uh, if, if you're going to uh, be, be working from home, you're going to need the best, uh, the best tools and the best surroundings possible, that it's a good, a safe and good positive environment to work out of. So, uh, so, uh, sorry, just so uh, uh, an, uh, a renovation may be, may be worthwhile for sure. Hmm. And, and of course, that doesn't devalue your property. It's a good investment uh, right there uh, for for the future uh, uh, sell, sale of your, your home. Absolutely. If you're going to, uh, especially if everybody is working from home, they may hmm. start looking for that as a feature of a house to look for. So right. uh, absolutely not. Uh, you don't want to be too, uh, too uh, centric with, uh, with what you're doing. But, right. uh, you know, certainly something that's adaptable to, uh, to a home office would be certainly worthwhile. 
Now, we've been talking primarily in in generalities here about uh, short-term uh, real estate. As you said, it's it's always been a good investment. It'll bounce back. Uh, and that's what I have been thinking about as well. I thought, you know, th- this will rebound. It, it, it'll, it'll come back and, and hopefully fairly quickly once things resolve themselves. However, I'm sure that you at this time, as well as other people in your industry, have been looking at, okay, what what are some of the possibilities? How might this roll out? And, and what, what can we compare this to? So, uh, you know, uh, can we compare it, say, at all to uh, the, the, um, the Spanish flu and what happened at that point in time? But I guess there were other things uh, that were involved with that. Uh, there was, it was right around the, uh, the time of the war. Um, so there were, there were other things affecting this as well. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, the, the thing with the, the, and this is strictly just a, a thought that the, mm. the Spanish flu is at a different, uh, different period of time. I mean, uh, we certainly have better tools to, uh, mm. you know, to, to get through this. If you think back to the, back to 1918, uh, I mean, there was no internet, there was no, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. no telephones, I don't think. Uh, and, uh, uh, basically it's, uh, obviously you relied on newspapers that came out, you know, you know, every day and, uh, so I think we're better connected and we're better suited to uh, to staying home and working now based on the fact that of the technology that we have available. So uh, for sure, it's uh, it's similar to that, but I think I think our circumstances are different. Uh, the big thing about the about this uh, this slowdown and this uh, uh, this period with the pandemic is this is not a uh, this is not a economic issue that uh, you know caused this this is a health issue right. so the big the big thing that is uh, you know that is uh, to, good to keep in mind is that you know as we come out of this the economy should rebound pretty quickly once people feel comfortable with again with the new normal uh, and we will have a new normal and people will adapt to it uh, the economy should rebound pretty quickly. We still have record low interest rates. We have uh, people that are eager to work. They have jobs once they're able to get back to work. So uh, we're expecting a pretty good uh, turnaround once uh, once we have the uh, the uh, restrictions mm-hmm. eased. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to hear you you sounding this way. It sounds you know fairly positive, and I'm glad to hear that. Uh, let's look at this from another perspective, though, an investment perspective. People that have investment properties um, that might be sitting on these properties now, if they're using them for, for either B&Bs or, or just an investment property, uh, they're going to have their own bills that are amounting. Um, and uh, they may be wondering uh, and concerned about that over the long run. Well, absolutely. You know, uh, investment properties bring a little bit of a different challenge, whether it's uh, B- Airbnb, as you said, uh, where the uh, the market is basically dropped off for that right now, uh, or whether you even have a, a tenant uh, that is uh, in one of your properties mm-hmm. and uh, is having is, is struggling to pay the rent, um, you know, obviously in those particular cases, yes, it's a, it's a it's a bit of a a bit more of a challenge with from the cash flow perspective. I mean, the real estate itself, the real estate itself will still hold value and will still rebound. Uh, the challenge is is the uh, is the you know the carrying costs in the interim. So mm. obviously you need to take advantage of the programs that uh, are being put forth by the various levels of government to try and you know sort of weather through this. And keeping in mind the tenant has their issues and uh, you the landlord has their issues. So it's a it's a good time to work together and try and find the best way for both of you to get through this at this time. Mm. 
I want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And that is uh, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 E-L-M-N-T-F-M or 95.7 E-L-M-N-T-F-M and listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My guest is Michael Collins. He is the president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. And we are talking about the housing market. We're talking about how COVID-19 has affected things. And uh, Michael, what is... what? What would you say are are things that people should be, as just homeowners or just as, well, let me put it this way. Uh, what if people have a home for some, for whatever reason, they actually need to sell in this, in this time, you know? Um, I don't know what that might be, uh, you know, but they, they need to move. And um, what would you say is the process they should be trying to look for or go through at this point in time? So, David, you're absolutely right. I mean, they're, uh, that's one of the reasons why the uh, provincial government uh, uh, declared the real estate uh, sector as an essential service. Mm. There are people out there that uh, are, in fact, needing to sell. Uh, you know, you can just sort of uh, think of uh, uh, as quickly back to, we'll say, January. I uh, bought a new house that's going to close in June with the idea that I will put my house on the market in you know February, March. Mm. Uh, to try and sell it and uh, obviously coordinate it that way. And uh, then all of a sudden the pandemic comes by and shuts everything down. Well, the first house you're under contract with is going to uh, be coming up pretty quickly. So there are people out there. So how do we deal with that? And I think I think a seller has to, uh, to sit down with their realtor and talk to the realtor and say, how are we best going to handle this? I know a lot of our realtors have put together very detailed plans. Uh, they, uh, they restrict the number of people through. Uh, the Toronto Real Estate Board has uh, facilitated uh, virtual open houses that where mm. uh, a realtor or the homeowner can actually sort of host the open house for realtors online. Uh, so we've come up with different tools. Uh, but the big thing is, is that uh, you need to you need to take into the concerns of all people because health obviously is number one issue for sure. You mentioned health and being a number one issue and, and social distancing and all of those things. For, for those people that are in the process, like you say, of having perhaps already bought a home and looking to sell their home, um, uh, you know, or vice versa, et cetera, et cetera, um, what then and how will this change that whole, uh, you know, exchange? Um, are, are, I mean, I'm sure that people are going to be concerned about uh, sanitation you know just just making sure that everything's wiped down or cleaned or or whatever even even going through someone's home uh, as you mentioned earlier there's concern about that um so so what's changed for for you in your in your industry in terms of either showing or or selling homes and, and buying homes at this point in time so the first uh, so the first thing is obviously we do a lot of uh, we're doing a lot of preliminary uh, uh pre-work ahead of time so uh, we're trying to rely on digital uh, media to uh uh, to uh, you know, to to uh, present the home, uh, to uh, perhaps narrow it down. So rather than in the previous time, you you know, a home a buyer may go out and look at 20 different houses. Uh, now what they're going to do is they're going to spend a lot more time with the with the digital files and the digital listings, uh, and perhaps narrow it down to two. So now we'll go out and look at the two very serious ones that are most important. Uh, when you get to the house, obviously we've we've asked that uh, you know most of our realtors are asking that. Uh, you limit the number of people that go through one, maybe two. 
Um, and when you go through the house, we ask that you don't touch anything. You keep, you know, I mean, leave the lights on. We're asking the homeowners to leave the doors and the closets open so people mm. can look in without mm -hmm. having to touch things. Right. Uh, so minimize the amount of touching as possible. Um, and uh, where, where necessary, wipe things down as you leave. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, now there, you know, there was a few years ago, there was a run that, uh, and, and it was going crazy there for prices and people were, were, you know, going uh, all these, these price wars that were going on and, and bidding wars and things like that. Uh, how, I mean, I'm sure this has calmed things down to some degree and it did calm down after, uh, I think the government brought in some, some other rules and things. However, how do you think this current situation might affect things going forward and even now in terms of, uh, do you think that, that it has somewhat of a positive effect in terms of bringing prices into uh, more of a, a realistic uh, uh, approach for, 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 for new buyers? You know, as I said earlier, the uh, this is a, a health issue, not an economic issue. Mm. Uh, for the most part, people still have jobs to go back to once we're allowed to. Uh, the, 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 the situation in the city of Toronto is that, uh, this is a very, very high demanded, demanding spot for mm. uh, people that want to immigrate and people move, mm -hmm. move into the city. Uh, we were experiencing a very, very uh, busy, uh, January and February prior to this mm. pandemic. Um, so there's a lot of pent up demand that's there. Okay. And uh, these people are not out of the market. They're just right. sort of sitting on the sidelines right. waiting for things to change. Um, we're not anticipating uh, that there's going to be a drastic, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, downturn in the market. Mm. Uh, once the, everybody thinks that he gets back to work, uh, we're expecting that it will gradually build back up, uh, providing we stay healthy and uh, don't mm. go back into another uh, major, uh, uh, major phase of this. I think that uh, that makes people feel much better. It's probably reassuring, and I can hear some reassurance in your voice in just saying that. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be happy to hear that, uh, that, that that's your sense of things and, and the market's uh, sense of things going forward with this as well. Yeah, we're, we're, as I said, we're looking for a, a good follow. The, the challenge is, we, you know, obviously nobody can predict when we'll have this under control, mm -hmm. but uh, we're already seeing... Uh, and on some properties, we're seeing, uh, you know, sort of uh, healthy competition again on this. So, uh, you know, we're gradually starting to uh, see more activity out there. And uh, it's, well, it's not back to January levels uh, where, where the curve is going up again. So we're making a gradual increase. And I think that uh, that's good news. Is there any difference in terms of looking at uh, home properties versus condo properties? Uh, condos are a little bit of a different, different, uh, situation. I mean, obviously you have condo boards and you have condo managements and, uh, you know, they, uh, some of them have chosen to uh, be a little bit more uh, prudent and a little bit more cautious and say, listen, we don't want visitors in the building. We don't want, uh, you know, people looking to buy in the building. So they have, uh, restricted things in certain cases, not all cases, but in some cases. So uh, condos can be a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a challenge at this time. Um, and there's a lot more touch points, obviously, when you go through a condo with the, you know, the lobby and the, and the halls and the, and the elevator buttons, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So for sure, those are a little bit more of a challenge. Um, and also too, there's uh, there's uh, it's a pretty, um, pretty robust market. There's an awful lot of uh, uh, condos being built right now. So it's a little bit of a, a little bit of more of a challenge with the condos. 
this is a little uh, outside of, of what we're, we're directly speaking about, uh, Michael, but I'm just wondering if there's been any thought or if you guys have been discussing this at your end, uh, looking to the future in terms of, uh, because, you know, we have not been in this situation before. It is changing the way we're thinking. It's changing the way we, we think about uh, interacting. It's changing the way we even think about how many cars we want on the streets. Uh, you know, uh, Toronto is shutting down the streets so that more pedestrians and, and, and bicycles can take part in, and those kind of things. How do you think this might affect uh, um, that, that the future of thinking around urban uh, and, and, and just uh, retail space in general? You know, I think the uh, the, the biggest thing, uh, obviously, people still like to see and feel and touch, uh, but we're certainly, uh, we were going that way to a certain extent with a bit more of the online shopping, et cetera. And, mm. I, and I think uh, just from the, uh, just from the fact that uh, we're now doing Zoom meetings, uh, we're doing uh, work from home, uh, as we talked earlier about in the show, is just that, uh, you know, I think, you know, we're not going to totally go back to, uh, you know, 100% of us get in the car and drive to downtown Toronto or, you know, uh, take, the, take the train to downtown Toronto to work. I, I think, I do see there's a lot of uh, opportunity here where uh, we will, we can change that. Uh, I don't think it will ever get away, we'll ever get away from the, uh, uh, from the bricks and mortars totally. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, certainly there'll be a higher reliance, I think, on, uh, on some of the, uh, uh, some of the, um, the sort of habits we've picked up. I know my wife enjoys uh, going down to uh, to uh, to the food store mm -hmm. and uh, picking up the uh, groceries uh, at the curb that she had ordered mm -hmm. online. So uh, you know that all right there is a is a great uh, opportunity. So mm -hmm. uh, we 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 may do that, continue to do that for some time. Right. Now we haven't touched on, and I'm not sure if you you are much involved with the the commercial end of of uh, realty. Um, commercial building spaces, those kind of things. Yes, I'm a commercial realtor, actually. Okay. Okay. So, how is how do you see that evolving? What's happening in in, in thinking around those spaces and and uh, the buying and selling of, of commercial property? The uh, I mean, obviously, there's uh, on two sides of things. I mean, there's obviously uh, there is uh, there's a lot of money that's uh, that's available uh, in the market. So the it's not again a uh, it's not an economic issue that is uh, that we're facing. Um, having said that, uh, yes, I think there's going to be some major changes on this. It's uh, I mean, uh, you think about uh, these great big malls and uh, you know uh, what have you. So uh, there may be some different pressure. I mean just by the uh, the process where uh, retailers with street with street access were have been allowed to open uh you know versus the malls that are not uh obviously is uh, is a is an indication that things may be changing or might have to change mm. so there may be some issues there that need to be uh, or some some processes that need to be done but yes there's there's that and the other the other thing too is is the relationship between the retailer and the landlord uh, both of those are, uh, they're a little bit, the dynamics are a little different than a residential landlord, but uh, uh, there are some big pressures there as well. 
What about, um, again, like office space, uh, those kind of things? Again, going back to what we, we've been hearing about you know, the possibility of, of more people working from home uh, and, and not, you know, not going in. Uh, we've heard some, I've heard some people talk about how there's that open open office concept that is now, but they're not, you know, people are going to have to have, if they do get back to the office, there might be more social distancing between people required. So maybe the idea that, you know, half the people come in at one, any one point in time but, uh, you know, I, I know some people share office uh, desk space, um, kind of like first come in, who grabs the spot? It's not a dedicated area. Do you, do you see the, the possibility that how, uh, how office space itself might, might not be uh, uh, required as, as big an office, for instance, uh, moving back into the, the new normal kind of thing? Well, there's awful. There's not a lot to to consider on this, but mm. uh, you know the space may be. Uh, I mean, we're, we're talking about social distancing, so uh, maybe what the uh, requirement is is that, uh, you know, and this is just you know sort of thinking out loud, is that uh, you know the space remains the same, but the 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 number of uh, the desks uh, you know drops mm. by fifty percent mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. provide that social distancing. Um, and then you accommodate that by, you know, sort of going into the office three days a week or, or what have you. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not everybody is there all the time, uh, spreads things out. So there, I mean, obviously there's going to be some, some changes in this, but I, I, you know, I don't think for, you know, for, you know, that this is going to result in uh, nobody ever going to the office. I think there's <laughs> going to be, you know, sort of, uh, you know, sort of some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of, um, Basically, some sort of a combination of both. I mean, mm. uh, going to the office and working from home. Yeah, I think you, what you said earlier is that we're social beings. We like to uh, we like to see people. We like to mix uh, with other people and interact with people physically. Uh, look into their eyes directly. Uh, you know those kind of things. So you, yeah, I'm 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 sure you're absolutely correct in that uh, in thinking uh, in that regard. Uh, Michael, is there anything else we haven't touched on that you think is important to mention about anything in this this area? Uh, I think the uh, the only thing I wanted to just sort of reiterate is that uh, you know this is um, this is a blip. Uh, I mean, we're uh, we're we're positive. Uh, we're quite confident, rather, that the uh, you know this is uh, not a uh, this is a health issue, not an economic issue. So uh, we're looking that uh, you know things as 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 the borders open up and uh, as we start to get back to work, uh, you know the the roads are starting to fill in again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that things will start to uh, rebound, and uh, we're we're letting more businesses you know work every day. So as long as we uh, as long as we uh, are working within the new norm, I think we'll be we'll be back in a you know back in a good spot in the, in, in the not too long distant right. future. Great, uh, Michael. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Great, David. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. That's Michael Collins. He's the president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. And we've been talking about COVID-19 and uh, the new normal and uh, just about housing, about condos, about uh, commercial properties. Uh, And uh, as you heard uh, Michael say, uh, this is not an economic situation. It's a health situation. And uh, he sounds pretty positive about uh, things bouncing back quite quickly once things start to open up a little bit. And that's uh, our show. I want to thank you for listening to us here at Element. FM and Moment of Truth. And until next time, please take care of yourself. We'll see you then. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.